Millions of people hope that making a resolution to stop doing something or start doing something through their own strength so they can change their lives for the better. And although they, of course, have the good intentions, what usually happens, right, is by February or March, or maybe by the end of January, uh, they, they don't meet it, and so they, they forget about it, and they'll say, we'll try again next year. Change to change. But why is change so difficult? After all, change is a part of all of our lives. Everything is in constant change from the earth that we live on because it's always changing. The, the earth is always moving around the sun and the solar system. Plus, it's spinning at the equator of a thousand miles an hour. So every second, things are changing. And also, time keeps moving forward. Days go by, weeks and months, and years go by. Nothing just sits still. Everything changes. Every living thing is in constant change by decaying or, or getting older. And we live in constant change. And change can either be good or bad. When we grow up from babies to adults, that's a good thing because we don't want to stay babies forever. But the most amazing change that happens is when God calls us into His kingdom by opening our eyes and our heart to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. That beautiful change of passing from spiritual death to spiritual life is the best change we can ever experience because now we're reconciled back into a relationship with God through His Son by the Holy Spirit. And we're changed because when we repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ, God now sees us as righteous because Christ's righteousness covers us. And then God demands that we change inwardly to match this outward righteousness. And God the Father, being such a gracious and merciful God, doesn't expect us to do this on our own. No, God the Father knows that this change is something that we can't do on our own, like so many of those who make their New Year's resolutions. So he places inside of us his spirit to guide and teach us how to change. And this change inside a believer is called sanctification. And actually there's a kind of a big theological term for this. And this inside change is called progressive sanctification. Progressive meaning continuing, ongoing, step by step. Sanctification meaning the act of making someone holy to set apart. And it's by a believer's progressive sanctification, where we can see the evidence that they're really united to Christ. Our progressive sanctification proves that we have been transformed and that God has called us out of the world to be set apart. And we are set apart to be holy. So our progressive sanctification continues until our Lord Jesus comes for us or calls us home. Because as long as we're here on the earth, we'll never be able to get to the point where we can ever say, that we've arrived, that I've made it. I'm as holy as I can get. I'm as much like Christ as I can be. We can never say those words as believers. So that means we'll always be changing as the years go by. But again, it's not us who's doing the heavy lifting, but the Holy Spirit who's working inside us so we can change. And we're not doing this through our own strength. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 11 and verse 6, in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. But this transformation is more than just simply a change in our outward behavior. Again, because believers are being transformed from the inside out. So that means that our motives as well as our motivations will be constantly changed. 
This fall, we did the six-part teaching on our four pillars here at Grace Bible Church, God's Abundant Harvest, where we looked at the four E's of our philosophy of ministry, that we're committed to exalting God by expositing His Word for the equipping of His saints so we can go out and make disciples of Christ. And the main pillar that holds up the, the other three is exalting God, glorifying God. That's what Grace Bible Church is for, to glorify God in everything we do. But in order to really glorify God, we need to know who He is and what He's done and doing. And that's where the expositing of the Word, unlocking God's Word, verse by verse, comes into play. Because the more we know God, the more we'll want to worship and glorify Him. And the more we know about God, the more we will want to exalt Him, and the more we will want to move and change and inside and out. And we're changing to be more like our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the standard that we need to pursue to become more like Jesus. But there's an important side in our sanctification, and that's even though it's the Holy Spirit that's teaching and guiding us to become more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this process is not a spectator sport. It's not that we just let go and let God. And so the Holy Spirit does change us internally, but remember, we must act it out outwardly. However, that doesn't mean that this is an even partnership with the Holy Spirit, that it's a, we have a 50-50 partnership. Because the Holy Spirit does, is not dependent on us to do His work, but we are dependent on Him to do our work because we can't do anything without Him. And so in our process of sanctification, there are certain things only the Holy Spirit can do, and there are only certain things in which He has given us to do. And so the Holy Spirit will create in our hearts the desire to obey God, but He will not make us obey God. This is where we have the responsibility to live out our Christian walk. And this is why God created His church for believers. Remember, God has given us, who are alive today, His Spirit, His Word, and His church. All these help us live out our walk as our new life as believers. And so this is where the four pillars of Grace Bible Church help us do this. Because we come here to exalt God, to glorify Him, but we need to know who He is so we can exalt Him the way He desires to be exalted. And where do we turn for that? Well, we turn to His Word. And that's where exposing His Word verse by verse helps us to see Him clearer. Because in the Holy Spirit who's inside each believer will then open up God's truth in His Word and that He sent His Son to come and pay willingly the penalty that we owed by dying on the cross, which then equips us. It shows us who God is and why we must exalt Him and then that enables us to go out and tell others how great our God is. And so as 2022 goes and 2023 comes, we get going. Because we want to change. We want to live the way our new life demands we should. But how? How can we? How can we keep moving forward in our walk with the Lord? And the bad news is there's no magic formula. There's, there's no shortcuts to help us. So where do we go for help? Well, we can go and look at a man who walked his Christian life in a way like not many believers have been able to do. We can look at the Apostle Paul and read how he was able to stay strong in his walk toward being more like our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we turn the calendar today from 2022 to 2023, what wisdom would Paul give us as believers if he was here today to help us become more like our Lord Jesus? And so if you have your Bibles this morning, grab them and please turn with me to the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3. 
Philippians 3, and we'll look at verses 12 through 21 today. As we begin 2023, let's look at what Paul has to say here in Philippians chapter 3. You know, Paul's number one goal in life was to become more like our Lord Jesus. And as believers, this needs to be our goal as well. And so if you're there, Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 21. Philippians 3, starting at verse 12, and God's Word says, Not that I have already obtained it, nor have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. Brothers, join in following my example and look for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even crying as enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach, and glory is their shame, who set their thoughts on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by His working through which He is able to even subject all things to Himself. And that ends the reading of God's Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we do begin a new year. Like I said earlier, one that we don't know what awaits us, but we are so thankful that we can trust in You completely because You know what this year holds. And Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You open our eyes to Your truth today. Let the Holy Spirit guide us, Lord. And I pray that you forgive me my shortcomings. Preach a better message than I have prepared. We ask that, Father, that we would decrease and Jesus would increase in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of today's message is, As 2023 Comes, We Keep Going. But how do we keep going? How do we live our lives glorifying God in all that we do? Well, as we look at Philippians chapter 3, Verses 12 through 21, today Paul will show us that if we're going to be more Christ like in 2023, we need to be changing to be moving forward. And that there are, there are no spiritual shortcuts to Christ likeness. So today in Philippians 3 12 through 21, Paul is going to show us six qualities that he had so that we can copy to grow to be more like Christ. And again, there are no shortcuts. If there were, I would probably have found them. But I've never found them. So here's Paul's advice for us. Six qualities to help us remember. And they all begin with the letter D to help us remember. The first quality in verse 12, we see a devotion. A devotion. Second quality in verse 13, we see a direction. A direction. The third quality in verse 14, we see a determination. A determination. The fourth quality in verses 15 and 16, we see a discipline. A discipline. 
And the fifth quality in verses 17 through 19, we see a discipleship. A discipleship. And then finally, the sixth quality in verses 20 and 21, we see a delight. There's a delight. And so today, Paul will show us that if we, if we want to press on, if we want to become more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we need to have these six qualities. We need devotion, direction, determination, discipline, discipleship, and delight. And Paul's goal in life was to be more like Christ. And that was the goal he wanted for the people at the church of Philippi. And that's the goal that God wants for Grace Bible Church. And that's the goal that Paul wants for us individually as well. And you know, we don't, like I said, we don't know what 2023 will bring. But one thing is clear, that as a church and as believers, we need to continually be pursuing Christ-likeness, to press on no matter what the new year brings. And so let's dive into God's holy and perfect word. First quality. If we're going to press on in 2023, we need to have a devotion. Devotion. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it, nor have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Notice verse 12 begins, not that I have already obtained it. So we see here that Paul has assessed that he's evaluated his life. (laughs) And he tells us that he hasn't already obtained it. But what's the it here? Well, we find the it in verse 10, chapter 3. Verse 10 says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings be conformed to His death. The it is to know Christ fully and that the power of His resurrection might be fully realized in His life and being conformed to His death. So Paul is saying, I haven't arrived at this yet. I haven't obtained it yet. What does it mean? It means Paul hasn't been able to empty himself unto death like our Lord Jesus did when He emptied Himself as God. That our Lord Jesus humbled Himself by leaving the glory of heaven, being born in a manger, and becoming a bondservant to die. So Paul's dissatisfied with with where he is in his Christian walk. He hasn't obtained the perfect obedience unto death that our Lord Jesus had when He went to the cross. Philippians 2.8 In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 8, Paul said about our Lord Jesus, he said, being found in the appearance as a man, he, humbly, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Paul's saying, I, I haven't arrived at this point yet. I, I'm not there yet. I, I still have a way to go. And this is, is real, and this is really amazing statement coming from a man like Paul. <laughs> because Paul was made an apostle by Christ himself on the road to Damascus. This is the apostle Paul saying this, who most likely was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. And here he's saying, I have not obtained it yet. And so then we have to ask the question, if that's true of Paul, how about us? Are we where we need to be? It's kind of humbling. And then look what he says next in verse 12. He says, nor have I already become perfect, Remember, this is coming from a man who, before he met our Lord Jesus Christ, believed he was perfect. Because he had risen to the top of the Jewish ladder. Paul was the Jew of Jews. If you look back at verses 5 and 6 here in chapter 3, in Philippians 5 and 6, Paul kind of goes through his little resume here. 
Paul says in verses 5 and 6 that he was, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day. <laughs> so every loyal Jew practiced the sacred rite of circumcision on the eighth day, and Paul had that. He says, of the nation of Israel. Israelites stressed their, their special relationship to God. Well, Paul had that. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin played a vital role in the history of Israel, especially during the reign of Saul. It was known for its unwavering loyalty to the throne of David when the, when the ten tribes separated in the divided kingdom. And many important figures in Israel's history came from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul had that. He says a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul traces his pedigree all the way back to the first Jew, uh, the first Hebrew, which is Abraham. And so there was never any mingling with Gentile blood in his family. His mother and father were pure Jews. Paul had that. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee. So Paul shows that, that he was committed to the law. He was a law keeper. This is all in contrast to the Sadducees who were not as committed. It's interesting that Paul joined the strictest of sects and sex in regarding the law, unlike the Pharisees. So Paul had that. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul was extremely zealous in the cause that he thought he was right. He was, he was bitterly cruel, even to the point of death, as he persecuted believers in Jesus Christ. So Paul had that. And then he says, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. So Paul was a man who carried the righteousness of the law far enough so that the other Jews looked at him as blameless before men. So Paul had that. Paul was, Paul was a blue blood. He was much as a blue blood as a Jew as you could get. He could check all the boxes that, that make his spiritual resume as good as it gets. And so back in those days, when he was Saul, he thought he had arrived. He thought he was, he was the number one draft pick of God. He felt, he, felt, he felt this way until he met the standard, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so his name went from Saul to Paul, and now he's no longer comparing himself with anyone but Jesus. And now he doesn't think all that highly of himself. Because he said, I'm a sinner and the, and the chief of the sinners. He says, or have already become perfect. And this word for perfect in verse 12, it means to be or to become complete. It's, it's mature, fully developed, fully grown, brought to the end goal. So Paul's dissatisfied with where he is. And the amazing thing here is that, that he's been a believer for, for about 25 years by the time he wrote this letter. So for about 25 years, he still hasn't arrived yet. He still, he still has a long way to go. He's not perfect, which means... He's not complete. He, he's not as Christ-like as he can be. And so he presses on. Hebrews 12 tells us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Paul now realizes even after some 25 years, he's, he's only just getting started, becoming more like Christ. There's so much more that he can grow into. And this is where all of us are here today. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or uh, we still have a long way to go. None of us can sit back and say, we're good. I'm good with where I am. It's been said that the room for improvement is the largest room in the world because there's still so much more of Jesus Christ for us to follow, for us to be like, for us to trust, for us to believe, and for us to become like. And so Paul looked at his life and he evaluated it, he assessed it, 
And he realized that it wasn't meeting the standard. And his standard was Jesus Christ. But now, in the rest of verse 12, we see his dedication. Because he says, but I press on. And this word for press, it means to move out rapidly in order to catch something or someone. So it's like running a race. It's running as fast as you can to get to the finish line. And the finish line is still way out in front of us. This is what Paul sees here. He's he's pressing on to be more like Christ, and he sees the Lord Jesus way out in front of him, far down the way, and he knows that he has a long way to go, but he's pressing on. And if we really want to grow, the first step is to admit like Paul did that we still have a long way to go. And so if we think we arrived, we need to think again. Sometimes we can look around at other believers and we can think, well, I'm doing better than than they are or I'm about where they are. And we can then stop growing. But Paul says, but I press on. And the interesting interesting thing here is this word press is the same word that Paul used in verse 6 when he talked about his zeal as a persecutor of the church. The word zeal and press are used in, in virtually the same way. And he pressed on. He ran after Christians with all his might to persecute them, to get rid of them. Paul, who was running after Christians to eliminate them, was running from Christ. But once he was converted, God did a 180 on him, so Paul is still running with zeal, but now he's running in the other direction. He's now running to Christ, wanting to be as much like Him as he possibly can. And Paul, even when he was Saul, he was always moving at full speed. Even when he was going in the wrong direction, he was was always pressing on. And here in verse 12, the rest of the verse tells us why he's pressing on. He says, "So So that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So here we have the cause and effect. And Paul writes the, this sentence, the way he writes it first is he gives us the effect before he gives us the cause. And he does it this way to show us why he has this zeal and this pressing on. He says, so that I may lay hold of that means, and that means to eagerly, to seize, to possess, to obtain. Paul wants us to see that Christ caught him. Christ laid hold of him, made him his own. He's looking back to the moment when Christ took hold of him on that Damascus road. He wants us to see his zeal and running after Christ. The reason is because Christ first came running after him. We saw this a couple weeks ago when we looked at Adam and Eve in the garden, that there really is, there's not one believer who runs to God. All unbelievers are, are running and hiding from God. And so it's God who comes for us. So Paul's saying that that he grabbed the hand of Jesus because Jesus first grabbed his hand. Charles Spurgeon's motto in his life was always, I hold and I'm held. Paul, Paul never forgot his journey to Damascus where the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ had apprehended or seized him. That's what's caused this effect. That's the last part of verse 12. For which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul saying that our Lord Jesus, who suffered humiliation, beatings, went to the cross willingly, died in my place, who knew me, he knew who I was, he knew that I thought I was a perfect Jew, that I was trying to wipe out his name and his followers, yet this same Jesus, the one I hated, came to me and, and called me and laid hold of me and saved me. 
What an amazing Lord. And, and because of this, Paul says, I want to lay hold of Him in the same way. Because of His amazing love. And sacrifice He made on my behalf. I need to give Him everything I have to become more like Him. Paul says his life's goal and everything is now to give his best effort to run after the one who ran after him. That he may lay hold of the knowledge of Christ and the fellowship of Christ. The Lord had seized him and now Paul was determined to serve our Lord and Savior the rest of his life. Which now we need to ask, is this how we're living? Are we pressing on? Are we going after with zeal to be more Christ-like? Or are we on Christian cruise control? And the great news this morning is that if we are, we can, we can turn our dissatisfaction into devotion. And if we want to become more like Christ, Paul is showing us these six qualities that can help us press on. And the first quality was devotion. Paul had devotion. And now the second quality in verse 13 is direction. Direction. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Paul had a direction, and so he's pressing on. He's moving forward with his eyes on the prize. Notice he says brothers. <laughs> he starts with brothers. And he calls them brothers because, because he wants them to get this. And so it's like he's coming alongside of them and he's putting their arm around them so they'll understand that he loves them and he really wants them to get this point. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet. Again, the it here is the full knowledge of Christ. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 tells us, uh, Peter said in 2 Peter 3, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we first become believers, it's like we're we're holding just a thimble of, of, of water of the ocean because there's so much more of Christ for us to know and experience. So much more of Christ in our lives, in our attitudes. So much more of Christ in our actions, in our reactions, in our speech, in our priorities. In all of this, we're not there yet. And notice Paul says, I do not consider. And this word consider means he's thought a lot about it. Because when we consider something, we think about it. It involves calculating stuff in our mind. And so here Paul has considered, or he's regarded, or done. He's been doing a lot of thinking about who Christ is and where he is in his spiritual life. In a very real and honest way, after thinking about everything in his spiritual life, he says, I haven't laid hold of it, or I haven't seized it. I don't possess, or I haven't attained it yet. And then the last part of verse 13 he says, but one thing I do. So here's the two. So it's not two things that he does. There's not three things that he does. There's one thing. There's only one thing on his agenda. Nothing else matters. And there's one thing that dominates his life. There's one ultimate goal, one highest priority, one ambition. Paul specialized in one thing. And you notice that the I do is in italics. That means I do wasn't in the original text. This was implied by the English translator so that it'll read smoother for us. So what Paul said here is, but one thing. And what was the one thing? But one thing, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. We see a negative and a positive. 
Paul starts with the negative and then gives us the positive. And the negative is forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting, so, so that's no longer being influenced by or, or being affected by. It's when we don't allow the past to control our present. Forgetting what lies behind. I heard Adrian Rogers once said, Satan chains us to the past, but Christ Jesus frees us for the future. If we're born again, it, it, we hold tight to Psalm 103, verse 12. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. And I love that it's, it's east from west and not north from south. Because on the earth, if you go north long enough, there's a point where, you, where north meets south and you start heading south again, and vice versa. We can only go so far in either direction, north or south. But if you go east or west, they go on forever. You can go east forever because when you're going east, you're always going east. You're never going west. Or if we go west, you can go forever because you never go east. So when it says as far as the east is from the west, that means when God forgives us, He puts our sin and us on two separate horizons. That means when God looks at us, He's no longer looking at our sin. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17. In Isaiah 38, 17, it says, For you have cast all my sins behind your back. And Paul remembers, he remembers what he did to Christ's church, and it, it breaks his heart when he thinks about it. But he's pressing on to the goal, he has a prize, and he knows that he can't run with all his zeal, with all his might, if he's looking back. Paul talks much about our Christian walk as really a race. And a runner can't run a race if he's looking back all the time. You need to be looking ahead to see where you're going. And Paul said, I need to press on looking forward at Christ, not back at my past. We can't move forward looking backward. Paul knows the direction he's heading, and so he's not letting his past failures, his past sins, his past tragedies, his past hurts, his past defeats, even his past victories distract him from moving forward to the direction of his goal. Luke chapter 9 and verse 62 in Luke 9.62 it says, But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's no rear view mirror as we press on to become more like Christ. We need to rest in God's sovereignty and trust Him that if we've confessed and repented and put, out faith in, put our faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven and are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. We should never let a dark past cloud a bright future. And so that's the negative. And now here's the positive. The rest of verse 13. He says, and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And this phrase, reaching forward, is an interesting choice here by Paul. It means stretching out. It's, it's really two separate words that come together to mean out and upon. Out and upon. It's, it's, it's a stretching out as far as you can, like in football, when a wide receiver stretches out for a pass that's out in front of him, he stretches out as far as he can to grab it. And here Paul is stretching out to grab hold of knowing Jesus Christ, to become more like Him, to walk with Him. And it's, it's, he's straining everything he's got, every muscle that he has. And so now at this point we can say, well, this sounds... It sounds impossible for us to live like this. How can anyone live like this? Well, that's why Paul's saying this, that he hasn't arrived yet. He's still not there. 
and should also make us realize that, that we haven't either. But this is, this is something we all need to hear because we need to consider our own spiritual walk or run. Today is a great day to start pressing on to the prize that Paul is saying here. Today is the first day of 2023, and it's a great day to start running with more zeal for what lies ahead. And remember, we're not doing this by ourselves. We have God's Spirit inside us to guide us. We have God's Word to teach us. and We have Grace Bible Church to equip us and help us run the race. And so we see Paul has a devotion. He's headed in the right direction. He's headed forward. And now next he shows us his determination in verse 14. So if we're going to be moving forward and becoming more like Christ, we need the six qualities Paul is showing us here. First, a devotion. Second, a direction. And now third, a determination. A determination to get where Paul is aiming at, which is the prize. And what's the prize? Well, look at verse 14. He said, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul says says it here again, I press on, which means to run as fast as you can for something or someone. And this is in the present tense, meaning he's always pressing on. This isn't just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just a Wednesday or Friday night small group Bible study thing. No, this is an every moment of every day thing. And he's pressing on every day for the goal. And we need to think of this pressing on like a bike. When you sit on a bike, you need to be moving forward or what happens? You fall over. You're either moving forward or you're falling off. And Paul says, I press on toward the goal. And the goal is a mark. It's a target. And we see his determination to get to this mark or target. He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize. And it's the prize that gives him this determination. Because for an athlete, there's nothing that can motivate, motivate them more than some prize at the end. Whether it's a letter, or letter jacket, or all-conference, or all-state, or all-American, or a championship ring. There's a motivation that gives us a determination to get a prize. A prize is a powerful motivation. And here Paul is, is going for a far higher motivation. And what is it? Well, he says, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul has already been called, called to Christ Jesus here on earth. But here, this is a call to Christ in heaven. This is an upward call. As one day when Paul dies, he'll be pulled up into heaven. And as Paul comes to the end of his life, no matter how long the Lord gives him here on the earth, he can see the finish line in front of him. It's, it's, it's just beyond that finish line that he can see our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's, that's pulling him forward. It, it keeps empowering him by God's Spirit inside him to keep moving on, to keep pressing on. Because Paul knows that there is coming a time when God will call each believer to heaven into his presence. And that's where he'll be receiving his prize, which has been the, this unattainable goal that he's been going after his entire earthly life. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, our righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So for all, of me, all believers, the gains of heaven will, will, will more than compensate for the losses on earth. 
And God loves us so much that He will not let us stay the way we are. And so Paul is telling us here, no matter how many years God gives us on this earth, He will keep moving forward. Even if He gets old, He'll keep moving for the prize, which is Christ. He has a determination to enter into the fullness of Christ. Because He knows that someday He will enter into the very presence of Christ. And to know Him as never before, and to see Him as He is, and to know Him at a level that He's never known. And so, if we're going to be moving forward and becoming more Christ-like in 2023, we need these six qualities to help us. We need a devotion, a direction, a determination, and now forth, we need discipline. Discipline. Verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, he says, let us therefore as many as are perfect think this way, and if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. He begins verse 15 with, let us therefore. So he's saying, because of what I just said, that my devotion, determination, and direction to press on, to be more Christ-like, these are what all mature believers should be thinking as well. In other words, as believers, our goal should be the same as Paul's, to pursue Christ. And notice he throws in as many as are perfect. And by saying this, Paul is poking a little fun at the Philippian Judaizers who might be thinking that they're as close to perfect as you can get. Because remember, Paul thought that way before he was saved. So he says, let us therefore as many as are perfect think this way. It really has a double meaning to kind of poke fun at those Judaizers who might think they're perfect because they keep the law and they think they're perfect because they keep the law. And also for believers at Philippi, who any of them might be thinking that they've made it. That they think they've arrived. That they, that they have nothing more to learn or to think that they don't need to grow to be more like Christ. Paul's saying that if you, if you want to know what a perfect believer is, or who it is, it's someone who knows how much he doesn't know about our Lord Jesus Christ. It's someone knowing that we need to be like our Lord Jesus Christ and also knowing how far they are from, knowing, from having that goal. Because the, the word Paul uses here for perfect means complete, mature, fully developed, or full grown. He's speaking about mature believers who understand that they need to be keep growing to be more like Christ. So this, this isn't talking about sinlessness, but spiritual maturity. And so when he says, let us therefore as many as are perfect think this way, he's saying as believers we need to think the same way as he does, which is having the same goal of pressing on toward being more like Christ. He says, if you agree with me, you're a mature Christian. You're not a baby Christian anymore. So it doesn't matter if you're 95 or 14. If you think you're as much like Christ as you can, or ever need to be, you're not a mature believer. But if you understand that there's so much more you need to learn and grow, then you're a mature believer. He's telling the church here at Philippi that, that they can't remain spiritual babies. That they need to be pressing on to the goal of the prize of Christ-likeness. Believers need to be growing. Paul has said something similar to this to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14.20, Paul said, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Rather, in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. The believer who is spiritually mature in Christ is no longer a spiritual babe. 
So in other words, we need to have the same mind as Paul. Remember, Paul compares our Christian, Christian walk to really being a race. And we need the discipline of a runner. So we can run as fast as we can for the finish line, for the prize, which is to be more like Christ. He's saying that we need to think like Him. We need to, we need to get out on the racetrack and we need to be pressing forward for the goal. To let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. And let us keep thinking this way, because if we think we are perfect, then we need to think again. But what about those who call themselves believers? Those who, who, who think they've become as much like Christ as they need to be. Those who don't think they need to grow more. What do we do? With, what do we think about them? Well, the rest of verse 15. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that to you also. Also to you. So Paul is saying if you don't agree, the only thing he can do is turn it over to God. This word here, will reveal, it means taking the lid off. So it, it's, it's to remove the cover and exposing what's really underneath. Paul says if you don't believe you need to press on to be more Christ-like, then God will correct you through His Word, His Spirit, or He'll chastise you. Because God will do whatever it takes to make believers recognize they need to pursue the prize of Christ-likeness. And Paul has full confidence in the Lord God showing believers that they need to grow. So Paul says we need discipline of a runner in order to grow more like Christ. Now verse 16. However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. He starts verse 16 out with however. So he's, it's like he's saying, oh, and one more thing I want to tell you. And what's that? Let us keep walking in step. Again, let us is in the italics. So they were added later, so it reads smoother. So it's really keep walking in step. Or in some translations, it might be keep living. It's a military term. It means to walk in a straight line, to keep in rank and file. And it's in the present tense again, which means it's a continually habitual action. It should never stop in the believer's life. So, what should we be walking in step with? He says, with the same standard to which we have attained. He's saying, let us, let us keep our lives in the same path to become more like Christ. Charles Spurgeon has, has said about verse 16, what Paul is saying. This is what Charles Spurgeon says about verse 16. He said, what Paul is saying is, let us keep all the good that we have received. Let us not give up the truth that we have learned. Let us not leave the way along which we have traveled so far, and let us keep together. Let perfect unity prove that the work of grace is ongoing in one as well as another. <laughs> it's really living out the four pillars we have here at Grace Bible Church. It's keeping the good news we've received through exalting His Word. It's keeping all the truth that we've learned through expositing His Word. It's staying on the course that, we, that we're on. It's equipping the saints. And it's let us keep together in perfect unity, prove that the work of grace is ongoing in one as well as another. That's evangelizing the lost. And so if we're going to move forward in becoming more Christ-like in 2023, we need these six qualities that, that Paul is showing us here. We need, we need a devotion, we need a direction, we need determination, and we need discipline. And now fifth, we need discipleship. Discipleship. Verses 17 through 19. 
And here Paul's going to give us two examples to look for. And so he's going to show us that one we should imitate and one that we should not imitate. This is one we should follow and one we should not follow. So first, here's the one that we should follow. Verse 17, he said, Brothers, join in following my example and looking for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us, you have seen in us. Notice Paul's using the phrase brothers again here, so it's, this is another tender moment. He's writing this with compassion. He's telling them, brothers, join in following my example. He's saying, follow me following Christ. Paul wants his life to be imitated and not admired. He understands that we're all going to want to look to someone, look up to someone. We'll all want to imitate someone. And he wants us to be imitators of those who are completely devoted to Christ. Again, he said the same thing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Well, so is, is, is Paul sounding a little prideful here? Well, no, because he's not saying, I am the standard, live like me. He's saying, live like I do and pressing on to becoming more like Christ because our Lord Jesus Christ is the standard, not me. Live in, live in the way I am by pressing on for the prize of Christ's likeness. He says, brothers, follow me in my quest to be more like Christ because I know I'm on the prize-winning path. So this means that prize-winning churches and individuals will follow him in forgetting the things that lie behind both accomplishments and sins and pursuing Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Follow Paul in knowing that we haven't arrived yet. And so we can press on with a heavenly focus that's aimed at winning the prize. And So Paul's not pointing to himself, but Christ in him, that's who's guiding him and leading him. We follow that. He says, brothers, join in following my example. And what else? And look for those who walk according to the patterns you have in us. So not only follow Christ in me, but find others who have Christ in them. And they are pressing on to know Him more and walk like them too. We're to look to and observe other believers who are walking out this pattern. And this word Paul uses here for patterns, it comes from the word that means to mold into, to mold into which clay or wax is pressed into. So it's like a model which wax and clay is, is pressed into. So we need people in our lives that we can look up to, people who can mentor us as they model Christ. So this is who we should imitate and follow. And now, who should we not imitate or follow? Well, look at verse 18. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even crying, as enemies of the cross of Christ. He begins verse 18 with for, or because, many walk. Notice it's many, it's not just a few. Because many walk. Walk means their lifestyle. So their walk doesn't match their talk. They weren't, they weren't living in a godly way. And he goes on and he says, of whom I have often told you. So he's saying, I have told you this over and over. And now I tell you, even crying... This really hits Paul. It hits him deep in his gut. He's, he's, he's broken hearted over the way of, that some professed Christians are living. 
These are people who are professing their, their faith, but they're, they're pressing on toward earthly things instead of Christ. These are people who profess to be Christians. These were people who said they were believers, but their lifestyle was pressing on to pursue sin and self-indulgence. And because of this, Paul says, this makes them as enemies. He uses a strong word here, enemies. It means to be hateful or hostile toward. And look at what they're hostile toward. He says the cross of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know why so many people don't like the cross? Because the cross reminds us that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. The cross reminds us that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves from God's righteous judgment. The cross reminds us that we can't help God in any way because, because we're not saved by our works but only, only by Christ's worthiness and his shed blood. That means that every one of us must come to the cross with empty hands. We have nothing to give God. We just have to trust God completely through what our Lord Jesus did on the cross for our salvation. The cross means death to our pride. And a fallen man doesn't like that. And Paul says that the cross of Christ is the fundamental truth of the gospel and of the Christian life. And so now as we look at verse 19 and these enemies of the cross, Paul shows us four facts about them. In verse 19, he starts those whose end is, is destruction. And there's fact number one. Whose end, and this word for end means their destiny, their final outcome. What their goal was, they achieved it, which is destruction which means separation away from, ruin, death, but not annihilation, because they'll go on forever. What Paul is speaking about here is the second death, which all unbelievers will suffer, which is the permanent separation from God with eternal torment. That's fact number one in verse 19 for those enemies of the cross. Fact number two is whose God is their stomach. Stomach here meaning their, their God is not in heaven, but it's in their body. So they live for the, for the temporal pleasures. Of the, they live lives that are enslaved to the gratification of the lust of their flesh. They live for selfish, sinful pleasures rather than denying self in order to live for Christ. And now Paul gives a third fact about these enemies of the cross. He says, and glory is, there, is in their shame. So they take pride in something they should be ashamed of. John MacArthur has said, this is the extreme most form of wickedness when the sinner's most wretched conduct before God is his highest point of self-exhilaration or exaltation. And we see this every June now with Pride Month. Something they should be ashamed of is glorified. Enemies of the cross. Not only do they flaunt their sin, but they're proud of it. But those who have been to the cross, we're ashamed of our sin. And now the fourth fact about these enemies of the cross. Paul says, who set their thoughts on earthly things, who set their mind, it means that their whole action and affections 
their will as well as their reason are all on earthly things. And notice it's set. That's in past tense. Who set. So their lifestyle is one of continually making choices to choose the earthly and temporal rather than the heavenly and eternal. Their minds are fully set on the things of this earth. Their entire lives are aimed towards the things of the earth to fulfill their needs. They're self-focused instead of Savior-focused. Paul wants us to understand that that believers are citizens of heaven. Christians are, are not to live as citizens of the earth. Citizens of the earth are enemies of the cross of Christ and who are headed for eternal destruction and who live for the things of this earth. Remember, these people were in the church at Philippi and they were making a profession of knowing Christ, but they were not truly converted to Christ. What Paul wants us to remember is actions speak louder than words. Paul wants us to remember that how someone lives and acts is more important than what they say. Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul said in Titus 1.16, They profess to know God, but by their works they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work. Paul says we're, we're to be on the lookout for people like that. We're to, we're to observe them, and God will let us see them for who they really are. Paul wants us to be imitators of those who are wholeheartedly devoted to Christ and not those who, who talk like they are. We need to look to discipleship with those who are devoted to pressing on to the goal of being more like Christ. We need the six qualities Paul is showing us here. We need a determination, a direction, a devotion, discipline, discipleship, and now lastly, sixth, we need to delight. We need to delight in where we're heading. Verses 20 and 21. Paul's going to now end this chapter on a good note. Verse 20. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait, the, wait, wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins verse 20 with four. So because the enemies of the cross live for this world, they focus on the earth, but we're citizens of heaven. We focus on heaven. We're born into this world. We're all born into the citizenship of Satan's kingdom of darkness. And so his standard becomes our standard. His conduct becomes our conduct in our lives. But when God comes for us and calls us out of that, when we're born again by God's grace through faith in Christ, we now become citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We're taken out of the domain of darkness. We're transferred into the kingdom of light of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now as believers, we're under a new ruler with new standards and new conduct. And we learn more about our new king. And we learn we need to become more like him. Because even though we're now in this new kingdom of light, we're still on earth and we run into citizens of the dark kingdom all the time. But now we're ambassadors for our new king to exalt him. And we need to be equipped to know him better. And so we can be more like him and tell others about him and live out those four pillars. We, become, we, we, we come here to exalt God. And to that we study His Word verse by verse. We exposit His Word. We learn who He is. And then we're better equipped. And then we tell others about His greatness. And then it comes full circle again because we exalt Him through that. For our citizenship is in heaven. And we delight in that. And we delight because the best is yet to come. 
the rest of verse 20, from which also we eagerly, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're citizens of another place. Heaven is our home. And so we delight and eagerly await our Savior because Jesus is coming again. And the reason we do this is because all things will be brought under His order, everything will be made right, and we will be transformed. How will we be transformed? Verse 21. Who will transform our body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by His working through which He is able even to subject all things to Himself. Who will transform the body of our humble state? In our humble state, in our physical form, we're all subject to wrinkles, change, weakness, sickness, decay, and death. But when our Lord Jesus comes back for His own, our bodies, it says, will be, will be into conformity with the body of His glory. So as believers, we have two things to be thankful for. Because our Lord Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the forgiveness of our sins, but also we have the assurance of our future resurrection and glorification of our bodies. And we delight in the fact that we'll also be getting an upgrade. We get sinless, perfect, resurrected, glorified bodies with a perfect heart, perfect will, perfect body, perfect mind. And this is why we keep pressing on with the delight and joy. Because what awaits us is beyond our understanding, but it is coming. But how will our Lord Jesus do all this? Well, the end of verse 21 says, by, by His working through which He is able even subject all things to Himself. So it's by His power in how He subjects all things to Himself. That's how much power, and that's a lot of power. So our Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator and Sustainer of all, has the power to order the universe. In fact, He's holding all things together right now. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. Paul told us this in Colossians 1.17, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. This kind of power declares that nothing keeps Him from accomplishing His plans. So Paul says, which He is able to do, even subject all things to Himself, the power in the universe is to subject to Him, subjected to Him. This is why He can, and we can be confident that this is what we have coming for us. This is what we have looking forward to. And we should, we should really be like kids on Christmas Eve. We should be waiting in the same excitement for all the Christmas Eves combined for the return of our Lord Jesus. Because when we're transformed, when we get our new glorified bodies, we actually become what we're pressing on for. We become more like Christ. We hit the finish line and, and we attain our prize of the goal to be more like Him. And we should delight in this. So if we're going to move forward in becoming more like Christ in 2023, we need the six qualities that Paul is showing us here. We need a devotion, a direction, a determination, a discipline, discipleship, and we need to delight. And so as we, as we conclude today, as we wrap this up, as 2023 comes, we keep going. We keep living out the four pillars of Grace Bible Church. But we need to ask ourselves some important questions first. We need to examine our lives like Paul did. So we need to ask ourselves, are we in this race? Are we in the race that Paul's talking about here? So are you saved? Are you born again? Have you experienced the new birth? And if you are born again, are you pressing on to become more like Christ?
Are you forgetting what lies behind? Are you forgetting 2022 and focusing on 2023 and what lies ahead? Are you reaching out with all your might for the prize of becoming more like Christ? And the good news is that we don't do this alone. God gives us help. He gives us His Spirit. He gives us His Word. And He gives us His church. And we went over the four pillars of Grace Bible Church this fall. And the reason we did that is so that we could see how they all fit together. That we, that we live to exalt God the Father. We live to glorify Him. And so we preach and teach. We exposit God's Word one verse at a time. We do that to equip the saints so that we can know Him better, to understand who He is more, so then we can go out and tell others about Him, which leads us back to exalting Him, glorifying Him. This is, this is why we're here at Grace Bible Church. This is why we have small groups and equipping hours and Bible reading plans. It's, it's all to help us press on and becoming more like Christ. And so as 2023 comes, it's now here. And what will the new year bring for us? Well, we, again, we don't know for sure. But what we can know is this, is that we press on to the goal of the prize, which is becoming more like Christ, more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And waiting with excitement and joy for the day that He comes for all of His saints. And maybe this is the year. Wouldn't that be amazing? But if not, let us press on. Let us press on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You've brought us into this, into this race. And we pray that You give us these qualities that, that the Apostle Paul has showed us today through Your Word. Father, give us a devotion, direction, determination, discipline, discipleship, and to just delight in becoming more like Your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to press on in 2023, no matter what comes. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.